Everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. In this segment, we are speaking to Paul Abbott in Australia. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Elaine. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for contacting me. We have a shared interest, and that was the papers of Jim Garrison, the Garrison Files. I send them out to anybody, and I think everybody that has listened to Paul Blow, you know, he's really gone through and, and intrigued people's interest. And I understand now that you are making an index of of the different names and and whatever we're going to get to that today so quickly just what got you interested in jim garrison and maybe going through his files well it, it's it's come out of a, a very long interest that i've had in the jfk assassination um i mean i'm, I'm here in perth australia so um you know, not 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 a subject that um, is you know you know part of our school system or anything like that. But um, I first got interested in it when I was um, eleven years old, and I was actually visiting with family in England and uh, happened to um, uh, watch the Men Who Killed Kennedy, the um, you know that nineteen eighties. Um, I think it was an English production. Um, I just found right. myself watching watching all the, these VHS tapes and just being instantly, you know, grabbed by the the, the whole topic. And um, from then, it was watching watching the obviously Oliver Stone's JFK movie. And I've really just collected every every book, um, you know, that that, that that I could have ever since. And um, yeah, again, being in Australia, it's not uh, not not something that uh, you know you can talk with you know every person on you know that 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 you meet about. So um, your your podcasts and and obviously the work that Jim D'Eugenio does and um, you know there's so many others. Paul Blow, um, Lisa Peace, it's uh, you know it's such a beacon for um, keeping keeping interest in the topic going. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm just it's just something that's had me captivated for almost thirty years. Right now, was there something about Jim Garrison that you thought he was worthy of this uh, investigation or, or going through files? Or I'm going to say, what was it? Yeah, so the, well, like, for, for the case itself, it was it did nothing. Nothing seemed right about the official narrative. So that first and foremost, you know, the the the, the, the Oswald did it and shooting away at, at JFK. Um, it, it just never seemed right. And I remember. 
trying trying to explain this to my my school friends. You know, it was as my first revelation on on this case, and it's all seeming strange. And obviously, the interest in in Jim Garrison uh, came through reading on on the trail of the assassins. That was the first that was the first um, book. Uh, I, I was um, I was given on the case and uh, read that through and obviously watched the JFK movie. So I, it was listening to your podcast um, and hearing that, uh, yeah, we, we could uh, um, reach out and, and, and gain access to the folders. And um, I'd, I'd, it was just more out of general interest. I just wanted to see what... Um, what what was in there? You know his work. Um, you know the case is obviously something that's still so um, you know so heavily referenced and um, obviously very influential over these last fifty odd years. So I, it was really just wanting to ch- check it out and kind of swim amongst these folders and, and see what I might be able to find out of my um, uh, my my interest in it all. Well, it is amazing what Jim Garrison collected. And there are some people that uh, don't like him. He rubs them the wrong way. But I just thought he was very um, uh, admirable about his his right away. He he got into the intelligence agencies. He didn't buy the the lone Marxist and whatever. So he started a real investigation, and then he mm-hmm. he really recognized what he was up against. Yeah. And then when you study his story, like you read on the Trail of the Assassins or anything. I just got a real respect for him, you know, whether he had failings in, in how he proceeded with the trial or what witnesses, you know, or whatever, you know, there's, it just seemed immaterial. It was like, wow, here's one man who tried to find out what happened. Yeah. And, and what a story. And, absolutely. And you, you, you can see that literally every possible lead that, that um, came over his desk was was followed. And and as, um, as uh, uh, we all know, that there were quite a few red herrings that were, you know, injected into his his in, in uh, investigation to throw him off the course and and distract a little bit. So with with a little bit of perspective, um, you know, again, fifty years later, to be able to go back through these documents and 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 not with with no bias whatsoever, but just just with that perspective that people like um, I think it was Bill Boxley, um, I think Pershing Gervais, these people that were. Um, uh, you know, and other other witnesses that claim to have a a, a, a very good story. Um, you know, they, they were were sent to really derail things. It is interesting to to. Um, you know. Well, his his office was taped, bugged by the federal government. You know, and and we know by papers of the FBI and that that yeah, they were watching him. They weren't trying to help him at all. Yeah, no, now, absolutely. Let me just ask you about the, these papers of Jim Garrison that were were forwarded to me. Uh, did, did I send them to you? Is that how you got them? Yes, you did. Yeah, and so it was um, during an, an interview or a um, conversation you were having with Paul Blow, um, and I think he'd referred to them um, as work, uh, you know, material that he he was using quite extensively, and was already really impressed with with the articles that he put out through um, Kennedy's and King. Um, so yeah, reaching out to yourself to to get the folders, it was it was as easy as that. Now, if you can remember, what was your first impression when you opened them? <laughs> um, wow, there's a lot, and and you, uh, I know, in that conversation, you you did reference that, and I, 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 I picked, I couldn't even tell you which folder I went into, but uh, whatever it was, there were about two hundred pages in there, and I just thought, I mean, you can start reading this, and you know, it, it, 
you know, that that will uh, of course be interesting if you happen to open a, a folder which is relevant to a, you know, an aspect of the the topic you're interested in. But I, th I thought pretty quickly, wouldn't wouldn't it make it so much easier if if there was some kind of index or some some kind of um, catalog system to 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 help people navigate through these folders because there's there's upwards of um, I think there's about 157 folders within 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 this suite of documents um some and and we, we can go into a little bit more detail um some aren't relevant to the the jfk assassination um which in itself is very interesting um i mean as an example there's um there's some a work that he he collects of a, a journalist from the 80s um richard landkamer um, I don't know if that name's familiar to you, but um, th this was a person that Garrison was clearly collecting documents on who was doing a bit of digging into the Skull and Bones um, sect out of Yale. And, you know, this person was going as far as contacting, directly contacting Vice President George Bush at the time and really following, you could see through this person's um, correspondence that are in the Garrison folders, he, he was following a real thread that extended to the Bilderberg group. So... There's there's a whole array within this, and um, I, I think it, it's people will be pleasantly surprised when they get these folders. Um, access to these folders is that it's not just specifically related to the, um, uh, the you know, Garrison's investigation of Claire Shaw in the 60s, as, as we see depicted in, in the movie JFK. There's so much more, and, and I think that's testament to Jim Garrison as well because what what's evident is, is he never stopped looking into the case, you know, in um, of the the Kennedy assassination, because um, uh, in the seventies, uh, maybe people aren't aware of this, but he was still fighting uh, off um, these these real vicious campaigns to disclaim him and and I guess topple him from the, um, uh, the uh, district attorney's office. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of information in that uh, in on, on that in, in the folders as well and in in the meantime you can see he's still collecting interesting articles and excerpts from books right the way through until he released his own books on, on the subject so it's just absolutely huge what's in there congratulations and hats off to you for going through this and and, and starting to categorize and index this now i'm smiling because i can't overestimate volume of material here like i remember when i opened one folder there's all these files and you open the file and it was yeah. like 142 pages there was affidavits yeah. there was newspaper cutouts there was statements it just went on and on and i started reading yeah. <laughs> and you know there's no way i'd go through the whole thing and I don't, Jim DiEugenio barely scratched the surface. And I think it was Paul Blow that really started reading through them and said, mm. hey, there, there's something here. And there's all sorts of connections. And mm. everybody has a different interest. You know, when someone has an interest, I mean, I, I think with, like, for instance, I think Paul was, was it just, just so many things to the case, you know, like medical yeah. or x-rays or acoustical evidence or, yeah. you know, who was in Mexico or, or travel plans, you know, or in the case of John Armstrong, was there an impersonator? Was there, yeah. was there a Harvey or a Lee? You know, even if you don't subscribe to that that far, you can say, well, there are duplicate set of records. I mean, there's two people yeah. and who was ordering Jeeps in his name and, and who went to the, uh, the Mexican, uh, the Russian embassy, the consulate, whatever, you know. You, yeah. you can really get the feeling of the intelligence agency's hand here or footprints all over the place. 
And, Absolutely. Right. And but I just the, the, the scope of of all these files, which again is a great opportunity. So if anyone just emails me, I'll send them to you for free. I'm not trying to sit on them. Where mm. I did get them from someone concerned that they didn't go missing into into the you know a dead letter file. You know he wanted to give mm. them to a few people, and I think John Barber was one, and and me, and a, just a couple of people, and we had them. But when I went through it, it was almost overwhelming. So now what you're going to tell me is that you've had the interest here to go to make some kind of index and, and you're not, you're not finished by any means, but no, no. <laughs> what, what gave you the the impetus, I guess, to, to do that? You could see that it was needed. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned it earlier. There is a bit of, still a bit of controversy and obviously there are some um, sectors out there that, that really do still seek to, uh, you know, downplay and, um, you know, re really undercut. Jim Garrison and the impact that he had on, on the on the you know the the investigation of the JFK assassination case. And by all no, by all means, he wasn't sure he wasn't perfect. And um, you know, you know, he um, uh, you know barely scratched the surface on on some things. You, you can see there were leads that were just just he he could only get so far with. But for for me, my motivation is to really. Hopefully, just keep a keep a light on all of the work that was done back then, because most of the obviously the investigation was done in the um, you know between three to five years after the assassination. So when it was all you know obviously still relatively fresh, and we're obviously coming up to sixty years after the event. And um, myself, I'm I'm forty. I'm, I'm uh, I consider myself part of the the, the, the next generation of ensuring that this this case do doesn't get forgotten um, and just just swept away into you know what whatever history wants uh, however history wants to interpret it so for me it's really just ma about making the work that was done back then just all the more accessible and to, to the point where if you know there, there's a name that um, someone might hear in a you know in a chat room or they've and some obscure name that they read in a book they might be able to use a resource like this and uh, find out a little bit more information that um, Garrison was able to um, to, to uh, you know dig up in in his investigation and and find out other other people or other facets that such a person was was um, involved in. It's really just wanting to to have just a, a very easy and accessible index. And um, it's the 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 thing which um, I've. Um, been reporting back to Paul Blow on a, in, a, in a couple of um, instances is this mysterious Cuban that um, uh, Oswald was apparently um, seen seen with around New Orleans in the summer of '63. Um, still an unknown Cuban, but you can see in in you know very deep in the folders, you know some some of these very obscure names, which I, I just wonder might that shed a, a light on on who this um, who this uh, you know Cuban handler was of, of Oswald in that critical time so all little you know little little um, hopefully some um, uh, you know some new little pieces and threads of information that um, that that may come out of this I mean I've like I said I've been interested in the topic for, for almost 30 years and I'm learning um, uh, so many different things and, and even some random things I can let you in on now if you, if you like, Len. Um, there's it's interesting Hale Boggs, um, you know, the, the references to, to him um, and, and connections that, uh, that that he had back to shore and, and obviously New Orleans and, and not in the context of 
um, you know, planning the, the assassination or anything like that, but just the connections, you know, you, you, you see that, that, that have arisen um, by association through through things that Garrison um, was investigating. Um, and probably the most prominent person uh, in terms of the name that I've, I've listed the most in the index is David Ferry. Okay. How much he sits in the middle of is absolutely fascinating. Um, so really, just wanting to, to let the the let, let the. Um, well, do you have an example of something that David Ferry was in that you could give me? Yeah, so some, something which, uh, funnily enough, just this morning uh, I was I was working through. Um, there, there was a a person from Grand Prairie in North Dakota who uh, reported to the FBI, the local FBI office, that uh, he was at uh, Winnipeg Airport. This was in February of 1964. And he overheard uh, people talking about the um, uh, the you know, JFK assassination and, uh, you know, there, there was mentioning um, to direct a quote of one of these people that he heard speaking, I, I can't believe um, he had anything to do with that Oswald psycho. And one of the one of the people that this this person identified was someone with very distinct and fluffy eyebrows. You know, and um, when he was shown a picture of David Ferry, he identified that person. So just just little things. I've not heard of that instance before. Um, little little things like that as an example, um, which which hopefully will. Uh, yeah, you know, may, maybe just be another piece in the, in the puzzle to what what um, someone else may be looking into. Yeah, interesting. The thing is that Jim Garrison just had so many statements. There's just there's so much material there, and mm -hmm. uh, the folders are by the by the person's name. Generally, if you open a folder, you get what you're looking for. But because there's new newspaper clippings and other statements where other people are named, I can see how. And this reminds me of, of what people must have done with the Warren Commission when they first started getting it and unindexed and they go, well, if I'm looking for Alan Dulles or another, you know, how, where can I find everywhere? So this mm. is the thing that uh, I'm so happy that you contacted me and I can just let people know that something is in the works and that you're already working on this and mm. talking to Paul that there's a little hope on the horizon that we're going to find more and more things that... Jim Garrison, and you know, it, it kind of, it, it maybe just reflect that when you were talking here earlier, somebody had, you would have to say, oh, Jim Garrison wasn't perfect. You know? I mean, he was fantastic to me, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I never said that he was like flawless, but I mean, mm -hmm. it never bothered me, uh, you know, his trial or his choice of uh, people to do cross examinations or, mm -hmm. I mean, just the stuff that he found out with I don't know, five or six assistant district attorneys, you know, his staff, yeah. what they found out yeah. against the whole government. And yeah. it was against and, it. You know, the, the the American government was working against him. Yeah. There was no neutral, like, well, let's see what the fuck, you know, let's just let the guy go. And if he falls on his face, let him fall. No, they, yeah. they were working against him. No, absolutely. And you can see that um, by the time he, he brought the case to trial um, in, in 1969, there, there really wasn't, you know, specifically much of a, um, uh, uh, yeah, everything that he was relying on was on, um, you know, the, you know, you know testimony uh, witness reports to do with Clay Shaw and David Ferry. And, of course, David Ferry was, um, you know, long long since deceased by then. So I, I think by the time it came to trial, it was probably more of a uh, an exercise of just bringing 
and just bringing the, this whole case to um, to back into the public eye back then, um, and whether whether Shaw was convicted or not, I think that it really was really was just um, yeah, m- m- making sure that uh, as much could be um, brought out into the public arena as possible. Now, I mean, these are the papers of Jim Garrison, but is there one one or two people that stand out that you think that he really caught his eye that he was really honing in on mm, I, I think david ferry uh, was by by far the the the, the person that um there was just the, he just has so many different associations in these as evidenced in these folders um i think that's he's probably the the absolute standout for me and clay Shaw. Um, Clay Bertram, Clay Shaw, um, and, and interestingly enough, I've just um, just seen that there might have been another alias that uh, Clay Shaw went by, and that was Clay Lambert. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure again if that's that's widely known, but um, that that's certainly something that I've I've um, found in in these in these folders. So, of the two people, definitely um, Ferry and uh, and Clay Shaw. Right, and of course, with the JFK movie, everyone's familiar with with Clay Shaw or you know Clay Bertrand, and and uh, anyway, yeah. It, it, but the whole thing is of interest to me that that just the scope of Jim Garrison's investigation. There was you know so much material there, and uh, mm-hmm. once again, for anyone who's interested at all, just send me an email. I'll send you. The, it's almost two gigabytes, right? So I think it's one point nine five gigs and i'm able to send it for free from we transfer they have a two gig limit but um and that's just this is paper documents so imagine how many are there to to make it two gigs so far landis some where where i'm at i've I've gone through 56 folders and i've scanned 3700 pages now that um that that doesn't include duplicates which thankfully there are <laughs> duplicate copies within the folders so it is it is um yeah not, not um I'm, how i'm indexing things is is not to um uh you know, re- record duplicates I, I just want to have a single reference to a document um to, to make it as easy and as clear to follow as possible so um yeah that that's not um you know by, by any means me reading reading each page word for word um this exercise is is basically me scanning each page for names and uh, having that obviously getting getting a sense of what the, you know the context that that name applies to in that document and obviously dating um you know giving a, a date as well so uh, high high level uh, high view kind of information with some broad context to, to really just help people um Give a give a, a bit of an idea of exactly where they can find um, you know, find out a little bit more information about a person or a a, a general aspect of the case that um, that they're interested in. And uh, it's uh, there's a like you say there's a lot there, but um, if anything, the passage of time has shown us that we really we can't let these things you know like like you say go into um, yeah a, a forgotten folder somewhere. That we if anything with with the advent of technology as well, we we can. Can use spreadsheets and um, you know fantastic um, bits of software to to uh, you know help help uh, help us make it a little bit easier to um, find out uh, um, as much as we can uh, about what Garrison was onto. Right, and these are in PDF form, so I've got it open yeah. in front of me. I'm just looking at it, and there's you know Sergio Arcacha, 
Smith, Guy Bannister, mm -hmm. Beckham, Boatwright, Eugene Hale Brading, Brochiers, uh, Chandler, um, Charles Cabell, file on him, Vernon Vundy, yeah. Rose Sheremy, uh, Court Papers, Crispin, you know, just uh, David Ferry, uh, just, and then there's Garrison Miscellaneous Reports and Memoranda. Wow, it's just a whole bunch of them. And, yeah, um, yeah there's just so much material. So, um, yeah, I, I haven't even scratched the surface, and I'm so yeah. looking forward to you uh, having an index that I can browse through and, and, and if I am searching for somebody in particular, then I can make a, a better use of my time because it's almost overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I have to have an hour at free time <laughs> and I'll click on one and open it and start reading, you know. Like, yeah. uh, it, it is Carrie Thornley, you know, just so many things. Oh, yeah. He's, he's an interesting character in all of this as well. Um, but, yeah, it's hopefully some lesser-known names. That, that have kind of been, you know, maybe not forgotten, but maybe not delved into as much, may, may come out of this as well. Um, and and what, you know, another hopefully a good good thing um, with, with this index is that it will serve to really validate and bolster the work that has subsequently been done by researchers. You know, it's obviously um, uh, Diogenio's books, uh, the articles that Paul Blow does, uh, yeah, even even classics. You know, Mark Lane figures into uh, how much Mark Lane and um, Harold Weisberg figure into the investigation back then, and obviously their subsequent work. It uh, hopefully this this just uh, further bolsters what um, what uh, that they've all done because uh, the Garrison investigation in Shaw was only a now only a, you know, a relatively short period of time, but uncovered so much. And now, with a bit of perspective and a bit of hindsight, and all the work that so many people have done since, hopefully, this this just uh, you know is, is a nice um, uh, yeah easy resource for um, for researchers uh, going forward. Yeah, well, you know, just one item that it caught my interest was Oswald's notebook. I mean, I had mm. only heard it referenced, and here there is a folder. Oswald's notebook and there's 36 pages and there's uh, FBI reports on it uh, conclusions mm. what they think is in it. and then you can see the scans of the various mm. pages and um, just what's in it and mm. it's uh, you know some people say there was some writing and codes and addresses and and people's yeah. you know just things all through it that I don't know what all that it means but um Mm. There, there is, is quite an in-depth investigation here, just of uh, Oswald's yep. notebook and all the various things that were in it, and mm. uh, yeah, thirty-six pages on it. So, yeah, I've, I haven't gotten to. I'm only up to G in the in the folders, but um, yeah, no, the, the, it's interesting to um, you know you really got to squint and read, get up close to the computer screen to, to read some of the handwritten. Um, pages within the, um, the the PDF folder. Right. Well, the um, good thing is that on the PDF you can hit. There's the yeah. magnify function, so you can, and you can see. And what what you get is you get an FBI report in which Jim Garrison, in the margins, have written you know various yeah. notes and circled or underlined something. And he, you know, uh, you know, there's just all this insight Big you help. get, and yeah. rather than just reading a report. And I think that mm. the stuff in the margins is what really always catches my eye that, you know, oh, he was onto something or he recognized that, right?
Yeah, and directly, helpfully as well. At direct, uh, he and sometimes will have, um, or whoever wrote that document or was using it, will refer to an, another document uh, or person as well. So, it, um, yeah, no, they 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 clearly wanted to be as transparent with their own records at the time. There was, like you said, there was a, a team of DAs uh, under him: Scambra, Alcock, Ivon. Um, you know, Battelle, they're, they're all these people that were and others working under him. But it's interesting the the the, the amount of uh, private investigators or you know p- police officers that were were brought in to help out with the investigation as well. Um, and I think I think you mentioned on a podcast a little while ago that one might still be alive. Um, Steve Steve Jaff, um, Jaffy, yeah. Uh, he figures into in, into this quite a lot. He 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 did did a, a hell of a lot of work as well. And those you know, like the people that knew Jim Garrison had this respect for his his work, and uh, those are the people that you never hear uh, any complaints about. It's the people that that are, I think, parroting the Warren Commission, trying to keep mm. the lone nut, uh, you know, the lone assassin, uh, and, and those are the criticisms of Jim, but, you know. Um, yeah. Well, this this will hopefully, this, this will rightly recognise or continue to rightfully recognise the, uh, the the importance and the courage of, of the man. Right. Um, so in, right in now, of history. Did, did I understand that you're going through this alphabetically? I am. So uh, I've just, just finished on folder um, uh, Gurness, uh, Edward... Uh, yeah, there's, I'm sorry, interviews with um, uh, William A. Morris, who, from what I gather, um, would, would have been one of the um, real-life characters that um, uh, you know, the Oliver Stone JFK movie um, uh, used along with Perry Russo for the Kevin Bacon character. Um, there's there's a, a really interesting interview that um, uh, uh, Bill Boxley uh, of all people, did with um, with, with this person uh, in a prison farm in in '67 about his associations with um, particularly Clay Shaw and um, uh, quite quite a few members of the business community in the late '50s of New Orleans. So you you really do you know there there is you know some 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 real pre 1963 um, you know background and context that that uh, Garrison was able to bring together as well. To obviously. You know, uh, shore up what what uh, what he was bringing together. It's um, ab- absolutely fascinating. And you know, other than I, I suspect Alan Dulles and the CIA and very organized um, effort to remove Kennedy, people who really felt threatened by him. Mm. You know, um, I I don't have a preconceived notion of this guy pulled the trigger and what did that guy do. You know, yeah. so that's why I follow this with interest. I'm just mm. as interested to find out what's in this, what people have found out without, um, you know, saying this is what happened. In fact, sometimes people introduce themselves as JFK experts and that, and that kind of you know, sours it for me. I, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm just, when I mm. look through these, I'm just as interested to see, you know, what was known, what did they find out, and what happened. And yeah. it may be... You know, it, it could turn out that uh, you know the the orders were not given by Alan Dulles, right? But you know, mm. I don't have I don't have uh, haven't written a book or anything that said this is the definitive Lenosanic uh, view. So I'm yeah. just watch with interest. And when you go through these, you just get the feeling that you just stumbled on a 
a whole library and wow you're going to just have to read the library to get your education i mean there's a clay yeah. shaw notebooks i mean oh, yes. it's like yeah. 74 pages of memorandum and then scans and then handwritten notes and uh uh statement of yeah. edward whalen statement uh, just there's so many things here that um well, yeah. you know it, it's it's so and interesting it, that there's you get this kind of history yeah it, it's it's meticulous it, it really is so, so many aspects of, of what they were doing was meticulous and you can see the leads being followed um the you know the raleigh uh, coffee company that there's a there's a section um which, which literally has um, you know the, the the names of people that visited or worked at the the Raleigh Coffee Company. Um, you know, wow. Where else would you? You know, where else could that be found? And again, where, where there's where there's lots of names in a single document, you just never know which which one. You know, who they may you know else uh, connect with. Um, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. Is well, what I'm doing is is absolutely con connecting names because. Len, Len, I'm with you. I'm a I'm a student of of JFK. I'll never be a never be an expert, and um, I've, I agree as well. I'm, I'm you know the, the the fingerprints on who actually pulled the levers of this of the uh, of the assassination. We're not going to find them. In in the, um, I'm sure we're not going to find them in the garrison folders. But but what we're going to do is get a hopefully get a, 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 a an even more clearer picture of. Of uh, you know how how intricate and uh, how you know the, the the tentacles of this thing flowed out. Um, but I mean, I, I know there was there was a talk of the, there being a plot um, that Oswald was being lined up for to um, uh, to kill uh, John F. Kennedy in September of 1963. I mean, could that could that have been the the level of you know the, the you know the all the subterfuge and you know everything that was happening in New Orleans could could it have been leaning towards that and and obviously when it was blown because you know Richard Nagel uh, you know wrote that letter to to Jade Gahuva that that whole whole part was blown so somehow directed to Dallas I mean we you know involving Chicago and, and Tampa who who knows we will we ever get to that level of detail who pulled the trigger hard hard to say. But um, this this will it's it's going to clear and clarify and, and bring bring new names and aspects of the case forward. I'm I'm sure. Well, Paul Blow is quite uh, interested in, and he's the one person uh, before you then that is really going through everything and making mm -hmm. notes. And now the the fact that you two are talking and you're getting this index together will only you know. Uh, well, we'll have you to thank for organizing this because then when someone new wants to go through it and they say well how how often was this guy mentioned or let's follow the leads of this um you know i've often said i hate repeating myself but uh people if, if they ask me well who killed jfk and i don't really want to talk about it i just say well look his enemies had him removed why don't you do a study yeah. of his enemies Right. And then, mm. oh, well, I don't know anything about it. OK, good. I'm, <laughs> I don't have to talk about it, you know, but, but some people, uh, they, they want to talk about um, Alan Dulles or John Foster Dulles and uh, and uh, the whole CIA and, and Sullivan Cromwell and uh, and then the big oil. You know, and it, it, you know, mm. it does get to kind of a handful of people who have the power to remove someone mm. and and get away with it. And, you know, the, many people haven't been so interested in who was an actual gunman. 
you know, was he a military sharpshooter or was somebody hired on spec for the job or was it, uh, you know, a Sicilian or something, you know, it was somebody who was there on orders and they got away, so it had to be organized. And yeah. the fact that it wasn't Lee is is really the murder mystery that you go, well, how could the government sell this? I mean, would they lie to that effect? And I think for myself, you you know, it's a real revelation. Yeah. Um, I mean, years from now, maybe 100, they'll they'll be looking into 9-11 and saying, how, how do those buildings fall? And, and how do they get, and how do they hit the Pentagon? And Building 7, there's just something wrong about Building 7, but it's going to take another 50 years, I think, for people to be that interested. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, you know, the, 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 that quote that, you know, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. You know, I think especially in the last of the turmoil of the last few years, I think people, you know, when they think about how the narrative of, of um, you know, I think, you know, milestone moments in history like the, you um, uh, Kennedy assassination and uh, assassination Robert F Kennedy as well was a was a turning point. Nine um, eleven, you know how how these things were so tightly, you know the the narratives of were so tightly managed and uh, people will people do wake up to it. I think that's that that's what's happening and I think that, that I'll be honest with you, Len, as well. That's a bit of a motivation for for me with this as well is that. Um, I think it was Jim D. Eugenio who said that um, uh, you know, it's been John F. Kennedy's been assassinated twice. You know, obviously that day in Dallas, but you know, by the mainstream media, um, you know, the, the compliant mainstream media to make sure that uh, his, um, you know, his potential um, and 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 how much of a uh, you know, a thorn in the shoe he was to the establishment with what he was trying to do in in terms of bringing about you know true. World peace and prosperity. Um, that that really uh, that, that, that aspect to him and anyone that's read um, JFK and the Unspeakable will, will understand as well. That that really has been downplayed so much, um, but the world literally did did change so so drastically back then. And this project, hopefully, it's a um, it, it's a way of just bringing about recognition of that as well. Um, so we'll, we'll see. The the thing that spurs me on is that um, what Alan Dulles said you know, about the Warren Commission. Oh, we don't need an index. We'll uh, people people will never read it anyway. We'll we'll, we'll just um, you know I'm, I'm now extending that paraphrase, but you know we'll we'll, we'll fill it up with details. People aren't going to read it anyway. Well, now they are, and and they did back then as well with uh, people like Sylvia Maher and Mark Lane and you know Weisberg and so many others. Um, we've got to keep that going. And here is some raw investigative files, notes. Uh, I'm not sure if deposition is the right word, but but interviews mm. of people mm. that you can read what they say. And, and then the margins everywhere is what um, Jim Garrison has his notes along with it. Yeah. And uh, you really get an idea of what he was thinking about. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know. That, that's the great thing about this, right? Absolutely, and even the testimony of Richard Holmes in the seventies—that's that's included in here as well. And I've, I have gone through that, and, and you can just see how um, how expertly evasive he was to uh, to the questions he was being asked. It was, um, 
it's uh, you know in in a lot other in any other context, it's uh, actually pretty impressive how you see these people just uh, you know dance between the the raindrops and you know Richard Helms whether and where if he figured into the the actual JFK assassination, who knows? But um, he was certainly a master spook, and it's um, you know through through the uh, you know, uh, deposition of of him in these folders that you, you certainly do get a new new level of appreciation for that as well. Right. Okay. Well, uh, you've inspired me to, I just, I'm trying to find the time, but I'm going to have to open one of these tonight and go through another folder because there's just so many uh, interesting folder names. And then when you get into them, when you open it up, you say 75 pages, you know, and then you start reading them. And it's not light reading. That's the the other thing about no. it, right? It's like no. right you're on right on you know like you're a prostate. And when you're talking about Helms and that, I mean, if you don't know the whole story, you might just think, oh well, look, the guy answered your question, leave him alone. But you have to know, mm. no, he's lying. And you mm. know, we know we know more. And uh, and you know, now sixty years later, we know a lot more. But then you can you can make the observation as you have that you know, look at how he. He kind of only half answered the question, but, you know, he left out the important part and it's like what they're leaving out. Um, they're trying to mm. give people a, a limited hangout. Yeah. No, that it's, it's incredibly abundant how, how much is, is in here. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't possibly read every – it's 3,000 pages and I've been doing this since June – last year the, the intent is to obviously get this finished and polished um tidied up so all the all the data is as accurate as possible by by the uh, the middle to the end of this year um and and give it give it to your good self to um send out to um send out along with the the, the folders um because it's uh, I've, I've scanned this so it makes it easier for other people to read it and and like you say really um you know get into the nitty-gritty the detail of what's in there and make it make make it easier to do so yeah okay well it sounds that um uh you have the similar respect of jim garrison's work that i did that you know uh i just look up to him and um for whatever criticism he ne- he comes never his way, it does it doesn't it's like adding a cup of water to the ocean it's like no once you start looking at this you go holy shit he was on to yeah, something absolutely. And there's Absolutely. a lot that, that might not have come out in court or in his book, but here are the things that maybe uh, people couldn't write about, but uh, they're all here. And he, uh, in, he clearly never stopped looking into it. I think that's something that, um, yeah, isn't respected as much as it should be. It's just uh, he never um, ne- ne- never stopped. Obviously, he wrote the books and you know, on the Trail of the Assassins, which um, JFK, the movie, was partly based on uh, or mostly based on. He never stopped, and, um, and, it's, and I it's understand that his filing cabinets were meant to be thrown out by uh, by what's his name, the guy who took over yeah. for him, Harry, uh, Harry Connick. Connick. Mm. Yeah, mm. and um, thank goodness yeah. someone sent them to me. And, Absolutely, uh, I got a copy, and because uh, because John Barber had a set on his hard drive, and he, he had a computer failure, and he didn't know for years oh, no. that uh, that he and he just couldn't believe that I had another copy, and then he ended up making that other documentary you know the second assassination of john f kennedy you know with the media uh, and uh um similar thing that once you go through some of the stuff you get a, a real good um okay so yeah. look at we've been talking i so 
really thank you for just contacting me today and we can just let people know that something's coming up. It's going to take you a few more months, you say, maybe maybe five, six months to finish this off. Yeah. So approximately November, something, you know, of, of the 60th anniversary, we'll have something really big to report that you have this yeah. next and people can do even more research. Uh, absolutely. And if, if anything, um, I'll just, the, the, the um, uh, hopefully I'm, uh, I'm uh, an example of what any, any person can do. I've, I've got a full-time job. Um, this is something I do after hours like most of us, most of us do in, you know, to, in pursuit of our interest in, in this topic and, and so many others. And um, it's, you know, the, listening to, to yourself and uh, the, the the light that you shed with all the different aspects to this case and others is really important. And I remember what Lisa Peace wrote in the back of, uh, I think it was um, a lie too big to fail, you know, that we can all do something, you know, to, 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 to ensure that, um, you know, these cases that change, change world history literally um, are not forgotten and that, um, you know, in some shape or form the purpose perpetrators don't fully get away with it. You know, obviously, the, the people that were behind these cases were uh, uh, obviously long and uh, long and dead. But um, if, if if the scrutiny is, is is kept up, and you know, people are open to opportunities to really positively contribute to the to uh, these cases um, for for the greater good of education and exposure, I think it's um, yeah, it's a it's a good thing. And, and you you help to bring a lot of that together. So thank you. Thanks for, for make, making the folders. Uh, available. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to continue to work on them and, and give this back to you. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So, thank you uh, so much. And once again, uh, you know, this is just a great undertaking that uh, I think with an index, people will not feel so overwhelmed when they open it up, when they want to mm. start looking, okay, well, who was here? What day, if you search by, by names or cities or, you know, who was where? Um, mm. because there's just just so much here so but i think you, me and you both know how much there is you talk to other people they may not know you go holy okay yeah. well um i guess we can wrap up thank you so much for taking time today uh, just before we wrap up then is there anything else you'd like to just mention before i just give you an opportunity yeah no thanks len no that that um that, that, that was all for me. Um, yeah, I, again, I just, I just say to people, do, do what you can. You know, there are opportunities to, to really contribute to things. And I know the, 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 the latest thing um, after the latest disappointing release of documents is um, what, 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 we can, what we can do to help the, the case of Sirhan Sirhan. Um, you know, the, writing a letter to the um, to the um, Department of Corrections in California. They, these these things, you know, people people action opportunities. It, it's uh, it, it's out there for us to all all do a positive bit. So um, yeah, I just say to anyone listening, get really just just keep keep your ears ears to the ground on what, on what you can do. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Email me again. Anything of interest comes up. But I'll be glad to have you on. And in the meantime, a few months from now, we'll hopefully be doing another show to announce the, you know, how people can get a hold of you. Absolutely. Thanks, Len. It's been great to talk to you. Really yeah. appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. You're listening to Black Op Radio.
Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. I'm your host, Leno Sadek, and we have Jim DiEugenio from Los Angeles in tonight. Hello, Jim. Good evening, Len. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Your wealth of knowledge, and you get your ear to the ground what's going on. So let's talk about what's new and what you have at your website and letters, maybe, and anything JFK. There's about two or three things I want to talk about tonight. First of all, there's a new book out. JFK Medical Betrayal from a guy named Russell Kent, who I think you're going to have on pretty soon, right? Yeah, we were trying to have him on this week, and the timing didn't work out. Yeah, I reviewed the book. It's at the top of the banner at kennedysandking.com, and it's an interesting book. So you can get it at Amazon in an ebook form. So it's a whole different approach to the medical evidence. Very interesting, I thought. All right, also... Please, please read the action alert at Kennedy's and King. All right. This is an effort by Angela Berry, who is Sirhan's new attorney, to actually get a second parole board hearing to grant Sirhan his release. All right. Now, as we know, she succeeded already where there had been, I think, 15 failures before her. But she succeeded in the last time. But because California, I think, is one of two states to actually have the governor allowed to veto the parole board hearing. That's why Sirhan was not allowed to leave the prison he's at. So now there's another one coming up. I think the date is March the 12th. And we have all the information you need at the website in order for you to either write a letter, snail mail, or email a letter electronically. But please send her a copy. And uh, we have her address and her email address at the site. So please do that. It'll take you at the most maybe five or six minutes, okay? At the absolute most, 10. All right, when you're driving by a mailbox, drop them both in. One to her, one to uh, the parole board. We have all the information, made it very easy for you. Okay, you're going to have Jerry Simone on too, right? Yeah, we've got a lot of people lined up, hopefully next week, the week after. He wrote a very interesting article debunking an original story from the conversation that was several months ago. And it made it really big because it said debunking a JFK assassination myth about how Oswald never met Oscar Contreras in Mexico City. He did an excellent job showing that that was not the case, although it did get a lot of circulation in the MSM. Not the case at all. This was an opportunity for him to talk about Mexico City uh, in general also. So that is a very interesting article. You're going to have him on, and that'll be great. I don't think we talked a lot about the death of David Lifton. So I think we should spend a few minutes discussing that issue. From my information, he died in Las Vegas. He went from Los Angeles, if I remember correctly, to Dallas, and then he went from Dallas to Las Vegas. I could understand him going to Dallas for research purposes. I don't know why he ended up in Las Vegas, but that's where he passed away at. And I wrote what is the only obituary I've seen of any length or depth that there is 
online. I think that's really bad that, you know, whatever you thought of Lifton, all right, his book, Best Evidence, had a big impact on a lot of people. Lifton began as what we call a first-generation researcher, and he hung out with people like Ray Marcus on the West Coast, since he was from the West Coast. And he went to see a lecture by Mark Lane in New York with his parents, and that had a big impact on him. And he describes this, of course, in his book. See, Best Evidence is, it's not just a book, it's a combination of what the Germans call a Bildungsgrand, that is, a a young man progressing into manhood and the person he then becomes. And that's really what best evidence is, because best evidence takes us from, you know, he didn't finish it, I think, until 1980 or 81 or something, but he started on his journey back in the mid-1960s. And so this is what the book is. It's two, really, there's two lenses. And I'm not talking about Dallas versus Bethesda. I'm talking about the search for the medical evidence and Lifton becoming a full-blown Kennedy researcher. All right. And so it had a neat arc to it because it's always interesting when you add in, you know, a young man's journey into adulthood to your story. You know, what, what I said, whatever you think of best evidence, number one, it's a very well-written book. I've always said that. Some people disagree with me. I think I'm right. It's a very well-written book. It's very well-structured. It has an episodic structure to it, you know, that keeps you kind of interested in leaning forward. All right. And, and that's good when you're writing a nonfiction book. Now, his main thesis which he ended up with, as everyone knows, was that, I want to be sure I get this right, was that Kennedy was really shot from the front, that the body was hijacked, and that there were artificial wounds jammed in to Kennedy's body to make it look like he was shot from behind. I, I think that's pretty much correct. Right, or body alteration, that there was some kind of surgery yeah. done in between, that he was in a different casket, and, you know, just whatever was going on, the cover-up had already started. Yeah, I think that's correct. And that his main look, his, what he thought about, is that the Warren Commission didn't really screw up or wasn't really malignant, it's that they were kind of fooled by the false evidence of Kennedy's body. It's where a lot of people disagreed with him, because, including me, because I don't think there's anybody who can study what Arlen Specter did with the medical evidence and not come to the conclusion that he was on a jai hat from the beginning. Okay, I mean, what he did was, for example, Cybert and O'Neill, never interviewing Berkeley not putting the death certificate into the 26 volumes, you know, and and all those kinds of things. Uh, and those crazy theoretical questions about now, could a bullet coming at this angle, you know, do what the magic bullet did? So I disagreed with Lifton on that. But, but what best evidence did, I believe, was two things. Number one, 
it has a lot of new information in it. Well, he worked on it for so long. So it has a lot of new information in it. He interviewed a lot of people. And secondly, it was possible through that book to focus on what was so wrong about Kennedy's autopsy. And I believe he was the first person to do that in book form. I think I'm right about that. See, the thing is, Howard Rothman, who wrote a very good book, one of the earlier books called Presumed Guilty, he was going to do that as his second book. He was going to concentrate on just the medical evidence. But two things happened. Well, first of all, I don't know how many people know this. I think Rothman was 18 years old when he wrote Presumed Guilty. Uh, Jerry Polakoff knew him, and he said Rothman was a childhood prodigy, very brilliant young man. To write a book like that in, as a teenager is, is kind of amazing. At, at least that's when he started it, when he was a teenager. Secondly, Howard got, and this is what I've heard, Howard had a problem with Harold Weisberg, who he was relying on for a lot of the data that he wanted to use okay, in his look at the medical evidence. And so he decided then to just go ahead and finish law school. And you know who we, you know how he ended up, don't you? No, Robin? no, I he don't. Was, he was a lawyer for George Lucas. That's how that's how brilliant he was. He ended up being a lawyer for George Lucas. So because of that, Lifton's book became, I believe, the first book the, the, I mean, am I wrong about that or am I right? Can you think of any other book that was published until 1980 that strictly focused on the medical evidence? No, but I, I just don't have them in front of me, so I, I don't for sure. I, I mean, I think there is some after, like Harrison Livingstone and Robert Groden in High Treason. They essentially concentrated on the medical evidence, but I don't think anybody did that before Lifton did. And so, like I said, he was he was... I mean, even Vincent Bugliosi gives him credit for being a very proficient and painstaking researcher. And I agree with that. According to certain people who knew him, once he would hear a new name about the case that he thought was relevant, he would go down to the bus station or Amtrak or whatever, okay, and get a ticket and talk to that person. Now, from what I understand, there's problems. Did you ever interview him about his new book, Final Charade? Well, I spoke to him a couple of times over the years, but it was it was going on 10 years that he kept talking about it. It was longer than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm trying to be yeah. you know, okay. polite here, right? And Because I, I'm not sure that he got along with me, but, you know, it doesn't matter, right? It didn't matter, you know? No. Uh, well, you see... When I went out to dinner with him one time for about five hours, like I've told the story many times, and it was about 11.30, it was you know from 7 till midnight, and then he started really going after Jim Garrison, saying he was a child molester or this or that and the mafia. And I just, I was like, I just totally lost interest, and I thought, how can I accept everything the guy said for four and a half hours, and now I realize I don't agree with this at all. It was mm. a real kind of, a, you know, moment, of, like, you know, mm. throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing, right? I was like, mm. holy shit. He just really had it in. But that neither one of those were true. No, no, I know that. Yeah, okay. But regardless, he just had it in for Jim Garrison. He didn't like him. He hated him. That, that's because of Kerry Thornley. And I, I wrote about that once at Kennedy's and King. All right. But, uh, but anyway, he, 
was very, I guess the best way to say is almost fanatical about his dedication to this case. All right. I don't think he held a job for a long time, you know, because he was devoting himself uh, full time to the case. And so I think that there's a problem with getting the final draft of his latest book, which is called, I think it's called Final Charade, isn't it? Yeah, Final Charade, yeah. Yeah, okay. And this book was supposed to be dedicated to the life of Lee Harvey Oswald, but it took him so long, I think it took him three decades, okay? Uh, but he kept on getting, from my information, he kept on getting sidetracked, you know, into the Zapruder film. You know, he's a very big on Zapruder film alteration and also trying to prove out the main thesis of best evidence. And so he got sidetracked into these issues. And, and so it didn't finish. It never finished it. I mean, it took him 15 years to write best evidence. At least that's what he said, you know, uh, and it took him, well, 30 years to write final charade. And I'm not sure he finished it. Steve Nosser, who knows who knew him, and announced his death on the education forum, said that there's a problem technically with because there was a problem with Lifton's computer, okay? And uh, they're trying to recover the final manuscript of the book, all right? I really do hope they do. I, I'm, I'm really interested in what Lifton dug up. Okay, I, I would very much like to read that, his full-length biography of, of Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, Pat Valentino has offered to give me um, stuff from that, you know, video and interviews and audio stuff, because Pat, he has safety copies of a lot of the stuff. Oh, wait a minute. Doesn't Valentino live in Las Vegas? Yeah, he does, yeah. Well, then that's probably how Lifton ended up there. Well, he said he lived about uh, less than a mile away from each other. Yeah, oh, okay. Though that, that puts two and two together then. All right. So, yeah, I, I hope Pat does recover some things. I hope he does come on your show uh, with that material. I'd be very interested in hearing it. All right. Now, the other big deal, of course, and I got a question about this from one of uh, from one of the people who frequent the site was about Tucker Carlson and his show in which he. I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. Okay, I'm, uh, you know everybody's familiar with that show by now. And I got a letter from it uh, about this, Marco Amacora. With all due respect to you and Kennedys and Kings, I don't think it's a good idea to post anything by Tucker Carlson, or at least apply a disclaimer to qualify this. He is a truly paranoid conspiracy theorist as opposed to you and other Kennedy assassination reachers who are realists, not theorists, as the MSM slander. As an example, Carlson made a documentary alleging the insurrection was a left-wing instigated assault manipulating the violent mega-dummies. Would you like to be associated with a person like that? And does RFK Jr., whose anti-vax positions are worth considering in my opinion you know okay. let me just interrupt on that what do you mean by associated i mean if somebody writes an article 
or in this case, Tucker Carlson did a show in which the headline was "The CIA Killed Kennedy." At what? Who says you're associated? I mean, can't you just talk about an article or, or we review books that we don't like and we t- we tell you we don't like this book at all? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're associated with the guy. No, that's what I feel about it. You know, I I mean, I look, I don't have TV. I got my cable thing yanked out because I thought everything on television was just terrible. And I'm not so sure what's worse, CNN, MSNBC, or Fox. Okay, I think they're all pretty bad. I mean, I'm not going to go into depth about why I think so, but I think they're all, I'm convinced that the way the American public stays ignorant is by watching television. And I don't care which channel it is. I can't think of one good channel that's on TV, maybe C-SPAN, you know, but I don't even think C-SPAN is that good. So I got my whole TV thing yanked out. I was not going to pay $120 a month to watch Chris Matthews trash a JFK assassination research community. So the reason I found out about this was a friend of mine who lives down in San Clemente told me about it. Jim, you got to watch what Tucker Carlson said tonight. It's unbelievable. All right. I said, okay, send it to me. And so he sent it to me. And then I found RFK Jr. What he said about it, something to the effect that the most courageous broadcast in 60 years, he actually said my uncle was killed in a coup d'etat and America has not recovered since. So if a guy's going to say something like that, I don't think I can ignore it. And I'll tell you the other thing is that John Stewart made a great name for himself when he came on when they had uh, it was called Crossfire and he belittled Tucker Carlson, and now John Stewart's doing a flip where he seems to be an apologist for this mainstream stuff. So it's it, you know what? Yeah, I mean he he had some interviews. I forget he I think he had Hillary Clinton and somebody else on and 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 just oh. I, Look at I'll look up the stuff. I'll send you an email, but it's just like you shake your head and you go, "What? What the hell's going on?" Oh, I mean, he was he down. was doing a kiss up. Oh yeah, yeah. For Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I wish I just well, I wish I had the stuff in front of me at the tip. But anyway, yeah. Oh my God, that's sickening. Yeah, it was sickening. It was sickening. I mean, I saw the clips on Jimmy Dore and some other shows where they they showed the excerpts, and it's just like, "What the hell's backwards?" But regardless, I mean, because I watched Hil- John- Hillary Clinton. You know, let's not get into that. Obama yeah, I know. To invade Libya. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, and laughed about it, right? <sighs> right. Jesus. Yeah. Harmony. We came. He okay. saw. He died. Whatever. Here. Yeah. Next, right. Left. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So. So anyway, that's the way I explain it. I'm not associating with anybody. In fact, I think about the whole ruck of them. Maybe one or two of them are okay. But the whole ruck of them, you can essentially, for me, flush them down the toilet. That's why I don't subscribe to television anymore. But if somebody talks about the JFK assassination in an honest and cogent way, I think it's my duty to go ahead and acknowledge it. So anyway, okay. uh, Yes, that debunking. Okay, this is from Dr. Dr. Halley. He's talking about Mexico City. And the uh, Jerry Simone article. As we learned many years ago, Oswald never made that trip. It's about the same as a reporter beginning an article with, you know, the moon, which everyone knows is made of green cheese, has shown a new development. (laughs) That's pretty clever. Anyone with his, her head on straight 
is going to know that the journalist is either nuts or is telling a humorous tale with tongue in cheek. Same deal with people sans integrity who will discuss Oswald's gun. That Manica Carcano carbine was not the first weapon found, and there is very little evidence to support it having been his gun. And anyone knowledgeable about the assassination has come to see that suspect Oswald was nothing more than the assigned Patsy, a guy who took the rap. And for that matter, the Warren report was politically motivated, highly flawed junk, nothing more than propaganda. Peace out. Well, I, there's nothing to talk about there because I agree with everything he said. Okay. <laughs> uh I think he might have been talking about the other article that we have about Mexico City, which is, I I think I touched on it a little bit with my article on Gus Russo. But anyway, anybody who reads my website will know that I have very serious problems with the whole Warren Commission version of Mexico City. And thank you for agreeing with me. Okay, Mike Mangione, January 19th. Was it confirmed Bernard Barker was on the grass? You know, grateful to be able to ask questions. No, I don't think it's ever been confirmed. And I don't agree with that. I think that's one of Martin Waldron's ideas. All right. Now, let's see. Hi, Jim. This is Mike Durdowski. Hi, Jim. I saw the video that you did with Mark Goubert regarding JFK's back wound. I believe Doug Horn talked about that wound having bruised the middle lobe of JFK's right lung and stopped just inside the intercostal rib cage, and a bullet was removed. Hmm. I don't think I've heard that one before. Okay. All right. I'll have to take a look at that. The throat wound bullet passed through the windshield from the South Knoll area. It stuck the president in the throat just below his Adam's apple damages trachea rings and lodged near the right ear. That's another interesting thought. Uh, you weren't at Dallas this year, right? No, I wasn't. But you have Mantic's book, don't you? Yeah, right in front of me. You know he has like a 50-page essay on the windshield. Yeah, we're going to talk to him about it too. Yeah, he thinks that this is what happened. And you had Doug Weldon on, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah way back. He's the guy who pioneered that idea. Oh, wait a minute, but I think Lifton did also. So let's give him credit for that. All right. Doug Horn believes that JFK received three head wounds. So does Mantic. One, a bullet came in low behind the Dow Texas building, hit JFK in the head, severely damaged his right eye orbit and crushed his, I can't read what he's saying here. His, I think he's talking the cornea and displaced right eye a bit. Wow. I, what's the evidence for that? I, I, I don't see that kind of damage on the front of Kennedy's face. A bullet from the grassy knoll hit JFK high above the right eye, just below the hairline, whose angle cut is in the forehead, and exited high left rear of the skull. Never noticed at Parkland. This is the wound that left a trail of lead particles that could only have come from the front. Don Thomas believes that also, I think. That right in the... Uh, forehead area where the hairline meets the forehead that there's actually a wound there third headshot came from the grassy knoll striking jfk in the temple above and just forward of the right ear okay the right ear 
It blew out the large occipital wound and the Harper fragment. Believe the wound listed above at A caused cracks in the back of JFK's skull, thus making blowout from the third shot to occur easily and explosively as it did. Thus the large cracks in the skull seen in the x-rays. That's all I have. I hope I have the correct email address. I hope to hear back from you. I asked them, uh, do you have any any documents that support these wounds? Okay. But I, and I told them I'll, I'll, re, I'll talk about his question on your show. Okay. I, I've, I read Horn's book so long ago, and it's so big. It's like 1,800 pages. But I'm going to be reading Mantic's book soon because he has essentially the same ideas. All right. Uh, Stephen Kopesky, January 23rd, was wondering your opinion on Jim Garrison and Jimmy Hoffa. My interest in Kennedy's and King territory came largely from my research and work on Hoffa. And I was reading his Playboy interview recently when Hoffa said that Garrison was a smart man and people should take him seriously. My researcher friend who's been investigating this stuff since he was in college in the 70s told me Hoffa was being helped by people in Garrison's camp, getting into Parton, the Louisiana Teamster, and the polygraphs. Dan Moldea, who I am sure you're familiar with, has done some sketchy investigating in that area, along with Walter Sheridan's work. And we read about one-fourth of Sheridan's book. I've not gotten to the Garrison stuff yet. I'm quite certain Moldea has called himself a protege of Sheridan. Anyway, was curious about your opinion in this area. Well, I don't agree with Dan Moldea on almost anything with the JFK case or the RFK case. Yeah, I second that. Right. And what happened is that Sheridan essentially hired a guy who he had convicted, or who Bobby Kennedy just had convicted, to arrange a meeting uh, where he wanted to go ahead and have him try and talk Perry Russo out of his story. Well, his name was Red Strait. Well, when Strait talked about this to one of Garrison's guys, they considered it a bribe, which, of course, it was. All right. And this is one of the charges that Garrison brought against Walter Sheridan. And Russo also testified to this, that Sheridan was trying to bribe him to change his story. And so what happened is Sheridan's lawyer, a guy named Herbert Miller, got the case and this is what so many people did. They got the case taken out of state court and they placed it in federal court where they thought they would have, which they did. And, and Sheridan got off on that. I don't see how anybody who knows the Garrison investigation can take Walter Sheridan seriously. And I don't believe he's working for Bobby Kennedy. All right. What most people don't understand is that Walter Sheridan used to be the chief of counterintelligence at the National Security Agency for a number of years, which would mean 
he had to be in close contact with James Angleton because Angleton was the chief of counterintelligence at the CIA. All right. So I think that Sheridan was sent down there by both NBC and the CIA to go ahead and blow up Jim Garrison. And his television show really did a very good job of smearing Garrison with these false charges. All right. All right. He also wanted to know, uh, Steve Kopesky, if I could recommend a biography of John Kennedy. And I think I've answered this question before that I can't recommend a biography of John Kennedy. All right. Well, I, w- I would recommend anything by Monica Wiesak, her latest book. That, well, but that's not a biography of John Kennedy. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's his presidency. Okay. Oh, yes, okay. All right. I'll stand yes. corrected then. I agree that if you want to get a, a good book about Kennedy's presidency, Monica Wiesak's book is the book to get, which is called America's Last President. And in fact, I think it is pretty much uh, laps the field. You know, the only thing I would compare it to is Jim Douglas's book. Okay, but her book is more concentrated on what Kennedy did as a president. So if you want to get a good book on that, Monica's book is the book to get. But as far as any full-length biography of John F. Kennedy, I really wouldn't recommend anything. The best books were published back in the 60s, but they're very much dated now. Okay. You know, I would put the the two or three best as being uh, Arthur Schlesinger's book, A Thousand Days, Ted Sorensen's book on Kennedy, and maybe uh, O'Donnell and Powers, Johnny, We Hardly Knew You. We Hardly Knew You. And also the Salinger book isn't bad either. All right. But those are all dated because of the incredible amount of information that has come out since. And I mean, it's a huge amount, right? And so I would start with Monica Wiesak's book, all right? And you might want to work backwards from that. All right, concerning the limo, alleged dent in the, yeah, this is interesting, in the chrome ashtray in the seat behind Greer. Yes, I've read about this. You know, how the heck did that get there? Further down page on the attached link mentions a dent in the ashtray. If it's true, I firmly believe it to be a ricochet from Connolly's wrist wound, which I believe was a separate shot. This link has some Bizarre conclusions I do not agree with. However, the dented ashtray is very intriguing to me. Any comments on Black Op Radio this Friday, it's actually Thursday, will be greatly appreciated. Feel free to say my name, which is Mike Dardowski, and to give a shout out to whoever the driver of Der Wiener Schnitzel uh, Wienermobile is coolest job in the world. All right. Okay. I did. Oh, I did reply, Mike. All right. I, I do think that there's something to that. All right. Uh, cause I've heard it from more than one or two people. 
And that's really, really interesting. Okay, I wish somebody could produce a photograph of it. That would be really important. And that's something that I would put up on the website and talk about. So if you can do that, Mike, please do so. All right, it's kind of important. I just wanted to point out that Bugliosi's book, Helter Skelter, completely concocted a story about the Manson killings. They were the result of a drug deal gone wrong, not the work of his Bengali, who exposed the dark side of the counterculture. Lisa Pease seems surprised that he would not present an accurate account of the Kenny said, Well, I think that's wrong. Lisa Peace doesn't give Bugliosi any uh, any uh, honor at all. She might not know about Helter Skelter, but I do since in the JFK assassination, the evidence today, I spent about 15 pages on Helter Skelter and I came to that same conclusion, which is different than Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, all right? Uh, I came to the conclusion that it, as you say, that it was, uh, his name is Michael, I can't make out his last name, Michael Dolitzer or something like that, Michael Dolner, all right, yeah, and I wrote about that, and that's what I believe happened, okay, and I believe that there was a huge cover-up about it because the LAPD did not want there to be any knowledge of the whole Hollywood connection that of drugs for money, all right? And that the association of Manson's gang in that milieu, right? And so that's a conclusion I came to, and you can read about it in the JFK assassination, the evidence today. So I think you're right about that. I got a question that did just come in today. Okay, go ahead. It's from Mike. He says he wants to know, do I recall which show we talked about JFK and the Federal Reserve? And I know we've spoken about it a couple of times, but I don't quite remember. And I know he did print their uh, those special $5 bills. Somebody sent me one one time and said evidence of the crime, you know. Evidence of what? Of the crime. <laughs> the, you know. Of, what does that mean? Well, it means that when JFK started printing his own money, that they weren't Federal Reserve notes? They were silver certificates. Okay. Right. But, but, it, but it wasn't It wasn't that he was going to go ahead and wholesale change that out. That's not accurate. It was a technical kind of adjustment that he was doing. And there's several people who know a lot about the subject and who agree with it that that was the reason that, that he was doing it. That guy, Who's that guy who wrote... Um, the Creature from Jekyll Island. That's probably the best book on uh, on the whole Federal Reserve thing. And somebody asked him. And somebody asked him. Edward G. Griffin. Edward G. Okay, Griffin. that's it. Right, right. Creature from Jekyll Island. I don't think I've had him on. And I think he's still alive. So I think he is also. You might want to do it. Yeah. And so we'll recommend you go to the, that website because I, did, I do recall an article that he had written about that. In mm-hmm. which he was um, downplaying that that JFK was yes. just printing his own money. Okay, well we'll have to look into it a little further. All right. Now the last thing I want to talk about tonight is the so-called new releases that the whole mainstream media has gone gaga over. Well, guess what? 
this is a huge sideshow, what's going on with these new releases. Gary Majewski is a very much interested researcher in what has gone on with the ARB releases. He's one of the very few guys who has really followed the issue very closely. He just sent me a chart in which he informed me that, Jim, this is all a bunch of hubbub over nothing for the simple reason is that in the last Biden release, for example, there were a grand total of 17 new documents that had never seen the light of day before. Now, it's actually less than that because three of those documents are about Martin Luther King. So in other words, it's 14 documents. Okay, so this is really, I believe, one of the most terrible diversions of recent years in the JFK case. For example, the CIA did not release one new document, yet they have most of the documents that are still being stored, okay, by far. Uh, the FBI is a distant second. The CIA has something like five times as many documents that are, have not been released as the FBI does. The FBI at least released two new documents on the JFK case. All right. The, uh, the, the church committee, two. NSA, three. The Ford Library had the most, six. The HSCA, one. One. So I want to inform everybody that Jeff Morley's correct. When he gets on TV and he says this is a shell game, he's correct. The hand is quicker than the eye here because nobody's watching the bottom line except people like Gary. All right. So in my opinion, this is why the Mary Farrell Foundation has to succeed in their lawsuit because I truly believe this is the only way we're going to ever going to get everything is by a court order. This is complete nonsense. What's going on here? I mean, really, it's disgusting. All right. So please, I'll give you an example. The House Select Committee. You know what their biggest release was last time? It was the employment records for their investigators. So if you want to know how much Gaten Fonzie made back in 1977, um, you can learn that. I think it was $40,000, which wasn't bad for back in 1977. All right. So, but as far as anything relevant to the case, no. Okay. None. All right. So this is really something that I think everyone should be outraged about because it's, it's literally breaking the law. There's no other way to say this. They are really breaking the law. Why do I say that? Because the JFK Act wanted everything out there by 2017. This is 2022. And we're getting these ridiculous releases of 14 documents with all this sturm and drang about 
how the media is reporting. The media is not reporting on anything. All right. They're not getting to the bottom of this at all. All right. As Jeff Morley said, because this is something he's very interested in. There's 44 documents about Joanitas not being released. And in one of those, from the metadata, he was cleared for special intelligence. I believe this is in the summer of 1963. What Jeff Morley is trying to find out is what the CIA special intelligence was. Okay? Exactly what was that special intelligence that Joe Anides was getting cleared for? Since the evidence seems to indicate that Joe Anides had a home in New Orleans at that time, and we know he was running the operations funding the DRE, there could be some very interesting stuff in there. All right? One possibility would be about the CIA's crusade against the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Because that's clearly what the DRE was doing with Oswald in the summer of 1963. Another thing it could be is information about Mexico City. Now, if that's it, if that's what he was cleared for, then that's really an incredibly important document. Okay? All right? But anyway, those are the kind of things that the CIA will not, even at this late date. Now, remember, and I can't accent this more strongly. This is five years after this was supposed to be over. Let me repeat that. This is five years after all this stuff was supposed to be out. So they're not just breaking the law, the spirit of the law. They're breaking the letter of the law. All right. And in fact, if you go by what people like Mark Adamchik, who's our guy on the uh, ARB, you know, They've actually tried to change the law. They've actually tried, they tried to bring NARA in as part of the operation. When in fact, in the JFK Act, that's not true. Only Want to just mention what NARA is for somebody who doesn't the know? The National Archives. The National Archives. All right. So that's not true. Only the president had the power to go ahead and either stop declassification or release all the documents. Now, if he stopped the classification, he had to write a summary for each document. Neither Trump nor Biden did that. Okay. And that is the real story. Okay. That is the real story. They're breaking the law. And I, you know, even though I'm not an attorney, okay, I kind of figured this out a long time ago. And then the other problem is that a lot of these documents are still redacted. This is crazy. I mean, you're redacting something 60 years after Kennedy was killed? 
60 years after Kennedy was killed. All right. You still have an agent in place. I don't believe it. I don't believe that. All right. I also don't believe that you have the same operation going on. See, these are things that the law said you had to prove. If you were going to keep a document classified, you had to prove things like that in an unclassified memorandum. They have not done it. They have not done it. And like I said, according to Gary Majewski, and I think he's correct about this, there's a grand total of 14 new documents that Biden declassified the last time. This is why it's absolutely necessary that the Mary Farrell Foundation succeeds in its lawsuit. Because I truly believe that we're going to get nothing but the runaround. Okay. I mean, it's really sickening. I mean, it really is. I mean, Donald Trump was going to clean up the swamp, right? Remember that? Donald Trump. Yeah, drain, drain the, swamp. the swamp. Right. Okay. Well, the CIA and the FBI come in. He gets cold feet. He delays it for six months. Then he gets colder feet. He delays it for three years. Biden comes in. He's got the picture of the, the uh, bust of Bobby Kennedy in the Oval Office. He's got the mural painting of John Kennedy in his study. And what does he do? He gives us 1,400 pages of documents. 1,400 out of over 15,000. 10%. And now, according to the people who have seen the correspondence, he's now trying to wiggle out, you know, of doing it this, at this time also. I believe he said he was going to do it in July, you know, but he's trying to wiggle out of that also. See, they, they should have never brought the National Archives into this equation. They should have never done that. You know, the whole thing about COVID. Remember that one, Len? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. COVID stopped them from releasing all the documents. Really? You had how many years? You had 20 years from when the ARB closed its doors to 2017. 20 years. And you couldn't clear this up in those t uh, 20 years? Everybody knew that the termination date was October you know, of 2017. All right, so thank God for Gary Majewski, and he's going to send me some of these documents. He actually says the Martin Luther King ones, although they shouldn't be in there, are kind of interesting. It's about how the FBI was trying to stop anybody in Europe from uh, accepting an invitation that King visit there. Okay. It's pretty sickening stuff. So anyway, so that's, that's the latest. Also, on. did you hear what Trump said? What? His friend judged the Pagliano. Yeah, I did hear that. Right. He says that if you saw what I saw, we'd realize we, why we can never release them. <laughs> and he goes, I can't tell you anything more because it's not on a secure phone, but I'll tell you in person what I saw. All right. Yeah. I, I I'd love to talk to the judge about that. Yeah. Well, he, he, you know, he only said what he heard. He'd he have to talk to Trump in person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, there. <laughs> remember that old Bill Hicks thing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Turn, turn up the lights. All right. <laughs> and then you see a film of the assassination from a different angle you never saw before. <laughs> and they, they, they turn on the lights. Okay. Now, you got any questions about your agenda? 
He's no sir, right? <laughs> Bill Hicks was terrific, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was one of the greatest. George Carlin. And, yes. You know, it, it's yeah, him and club, George Carlin were pretty close, yeah. It's a big club, and you're not in it. Yeah. Okay, Len. Thank right. you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah. No, thank you um, for your time and insight. And um, good. Well, we'll have a, we've got some good guests scheduled on the Yeah, you've up. got Mantic. You've got Jerry Simone. You've got uh, Russell Kent coming up. Like I've always said, you have the best shows out there, and nobody's even a close second. Yeah, well, thanks. But uh, also, I wanted to have you on as a as a co-host, you know, especially for uh, Jerry and and Russell, since you mm-hmm. you were talking to them there, and their articles are on kennedysandking.com. dot com, mm-hmm. so people right. go there. Well, and... keep those checks coming, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, a new set of headphones, anyway. <laughs> Okay, partner, have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you very much. Good night.